Alright everybody, welcome to episode number 30 of the Tween Cracks Podcast. I am your host Bill, and with me, as always, is my co-host Chris. Now Chris, this is a big episode for us bud, so I need you to be ready. Now, with that said, Chris, are you ready? I say Chris? Oh, Chris. Oh, that's right, everybody. I forgot Chris is on vacation this week. He will be back with us next week, and we all sure as shit do miss him. But we do wish him the safest. Oh, travels. Now, I'm not going to lie. This is going to be a fucking weird episode. Just because I'm doing this by myself, I have no one else to fucking talk to. So what you're probably going to get is a shortened version of one of our episodes and some really fucking cheesy sound effects to fill in the awkward silence. Now, how's that sound, guys? Sound good? Something you're all going on board with? Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. You know, I got to tell you, I was in a great mood before I was about to record this episode. Then my 12-year-old hits me with the... How are you going to be able to carry this show by yourself if Chris isn't there to report all the facts? Because all you do is make jokes and act angry at everything. <laughs> and uh, that just set the tone for this fucking show. So, with that said, I'm going to try to keep myself uh, and my spirits on the up and up. And I'm also going to try to keep the cursing to a minimum. And I'm going to see if I can do that because I'm by myself tonight. And I think I can. I think if I apply myself, I can do this. And also, I mean, I have to add that it is an absolutely beautiful day here in New York. It's about 75 degrees, a little cloudy like I like, so it's not that hot. And it's putting me in a better mood. The colder it gets, the better my mood. It's just as simple as that. So, as I said earlier, it is episode number 30, and Chris and I had planned to do something a little special. Well, not really, but uh, maybe just some extra sound effects and all the shit. So I want you guys to consider this episode 29 and a half, okay? So once Chris gets back, we'll put our little party together and get the ball rolling on that. Now, the funny thing about Chris being gone is that I had to make a decision. Did I want to go forward doing this episode by myself? Did I want to wait till he gets back? Or did I want to bring on a special co-host? And I'll tell you one thing, my wife, Lara, desperately tried everything in her power to get on here to be the co-host. And she said she was going to reveal the facts of all the things I've complained about, that stupid little to-do list that nearly ruined the whole history of uh, BTC and stopped it dead in its tracks. But it didn't, and we persevered. But she wanted to come on here and tell her side of the story. But for me and you good people, I just didn't feel like that would make good radio. So with that said, here I am. By my lonesome. Like I said, I'm going to do the best I can fucking do by myself, so just bear with me, all right? Don't give me any trouble. Well, another news in my life, my friend uh, Chris Smith-Hedges, who I've mentioned quite a bit on the show, smugly asked me how the birdhouse was going, and I don't know if you guys recall or not, but uh, but a couple episodes ago, I told you guys I was working on a birdhouse for my cousin who had recently moved. And the answer is no, the birdhouse is still not fucking finished. Structurally, it's done. The fucking paint job. I just can't get around all these crevices that are in this fucking thing. And it just looks like shit. And then I decided to add an addition onto the goddamn thing. And that fucked the whole thing up. So, long story short, that birdhouse is getting axed. And I've started construction on a new one. And I have to just paint it bit by bit as I go along. Because I'm never going through this fucking nightmare again. Well, now my mood is starting to sour. So, it's probably a good time to get started on this fucking case. And tonight, we have... I have a fucking weird one for you. I mean, this is probably one of the most mysterious cases 
that I think I have ever come across. Tonight, we are going to be discussing the mysterious disappearance of Brian Schaefer. Now, the term disappearance is an understatement in this case. Now, this case did gain nationwide attention, and I'm not sure how many of you guys have heard of it, but it is unbelievably baffling because the whole story just makes no sense. So let me give you a quick rundown as far as what happened. Our story takes place on March 31st of 2006, so not too long ago, about 14 years ago, in the lovely city of Columbus, Ohio. And that's where Brian was a medical student at Ohio State University. So as we said, this was in March, right? So that's the start of spring break for these college kids. So you can imagine that after having dealt with the rigors of medical school and all this shit, that they'd probably want to go out and relax and have a good time. And that's exactly what Brian did. So he started off his evening by going out to dinner with his dad, Randy. What's crazy here is that Randy had made note of it that... Brian seemed very exhausted, like he just kind of seemed out of it just because he had been cramming for exams and pulling all-nighters and whatnot, and he didn't think that it was a very good idea for Brian to go out with his friends that evening. You know, having been so exhausted, he thought maybe maybe push it off another night and, you know, go rest and party the following night. But Brian decided to go out that evening anyway, so that's when he went out with his friend William Clint Florence and William's friend Meredith. And they had met at a bar called the Ugly Tuna Saluna, which is located in Columbus, Ohio as well. That sounds all well and good, right? I mean, who doesn't like to go out for drinks with their friends and all this shit? So, all seems normal. They are caught on surveillance video entering the bar. And this bar is on the second level of this building. And I should say, it it's almost looks like a fucking mall. So, it's encapsulated the escalators on the inside, obviously. And the video shows them on the escalator as they're coming into the bar area. There's some videotape of Brian like roaming around the bar talking to different people. The last piece of video surveillance shows him at 2 o'clock in the morning when he was talking to a couple of young ladies outside of the bar, but still inside of this building. And I'm going to post this surveillance video for you to get a better idea of how the fuck this place looks. There's security guards around, there's stairs on one side, there's the escalator that Brian rode up on the other. Everything seemed fucking normal, right? He's out with his friends, he's talking to some girls. The video surveillance is showing him all over the place, he seemed fine. And that's where this story takes a dark and mysterious twist, because as we said, the video surveillance showed Brian entering the building. But it never showed him leaving. Because on the early morning of April 1st, 2006, Brian went missing. And he has never been seen or heard from again. So basically what you have here is a guy enters a bar and he's never seen leaving. Video surveillance on the streets, video surveillance of the back lot, video surveillance of the bar itself shows absolutely no sign of Brian. So you have to ask yourself... What the fuck is going on? How is this even remotely possible? And to this day, 14 years later, police still have no fucking idea where this kid is. I say kid, but now he would obviously be in his 40s. Because at the time of his disappearance, Brian was 27 years old. So now what we're going to do is go backwards a little bit and see what was going on in Brian's life at the time of of his disappearance and could that possibly provide any information as to what happened 
Unfortunately, three weeks prior to Brian's disappearance, his mother, Renee, passed away from myodysplasia. You know, from all accounts, his friends said that he was handling it somewhat well. But you could just imagine, you know, if you're somebody who internalizes shit and you're going through something like that, you may not express yourself outwardly, just how fucking dark and sad that you're feeling on the inside. And from all accounts, him and his mother were insanely close. So you could imagine the effect that that had on him, especially with the stress of medical school. So you got to keep that in mind. I mean, losing your mother, and I can speak from personal experience that it's a loss like no other. I mean, uh, I would assume aside maybe from the loss of a child or whatnot, but as you're a kid or a man growing up, you know, the effects that that has on you mentally is, you know, hard to understand unless you've gone through it. So you got to take that into account as far as Brian's mental state at that time. But luckily for Brian, he had a strong circle around him. He had his dad, he had his older brother, Derek, and he had a girlfriend, Alexis. Prior to his experience, Brian and Alexis had a trip planned to go down to Miami. And apparently Alexis herself and a lot of his friends and family assumed that Brian was going to actually propose to her on this trip. So, you know, if you take all that into account, yeah, he has the difficulty of his mother's death, but he still has a strong nucleus around him. So that makes all the difference in the world as far as providing stability as well. So what's funny, I mean, this is the complete opposite of me. Brian liked uh, tropical locations. So his goal, apparently, ultimate goal was to start a band after medical school. Once he had become financially secure, start a band and start that whole lifestyle of living on a beach and all this other shit, you know, which works for some people. But for me, it's too fucking hot. How can you even be into that shit? But uh, that was his ultimate goal. So who the fuck am I to say anything about it? So as I mentioned earlier, Brian was out with his friend Clint Florence and another friend of Clint's, Meredith Reed. So it's not really specified whether Brian was close with Meredith, but he was very good friends with Clint. We know that much. So Brian and Clint were bar hopping a little bit before they ended up going into the Ugly Tuna Saluna, and apparently they were doing shots and had some other drinks, so they probably showed up there nice and lit. You can just assume that much. And, uh, you know, when you start getting lit like that and you have so much alcohol in your system, your judgment gets a little cloudy and you're not making, let's say, all the right decisions. So that's just the cold hard facts, but we're not saying that Brian did anything wrong that night. We're just saying that alcohol can act as a catalyst to uh, bad decision making. Now, you may wonder why wasn't Brian's girlfriend with him. She was actually back home in Toledo visiting her family, which makes sense as uh, she was getting ready to pack for her vacation with Brian as they were due to leave for Miami, I think roughly two days after the day he went missing. That leaves us with the three friends hanging out, Brian, Clint, and Meredith, okay? So, they're going along, everything's going fine, you know, and the video surveillance shows Brian there, he looks like he's having a good time, he's talking to two girls, everything seems well and good, so apparently Meredith and Clint lost track of Brian, this place is pretty fucking big, so you can see how that could happen, especially at the start of spring break, you're gonna imagine this place is fucking packed, they can't find him, so the place closed at 2am, and it was at that point that Meredith and Clint went outside to wait for Brian, along with everybody else, because it was closing time to hit a fucking leaf. And now this is where fucking trouble starts. There was no Brian. He never came out. He never left the bar, or so we suspect at this point, right? 
But according to Meredith and Clint, they attempted to find Brian. They were screaming his name, asking other patrons if they had seen him. But, you know, and I've been in this situation before, so I can't really fault them. I, like, I've been separated from friends, uh, you know, at that age at a bar and whatnot. So you kind of just assume that if you can't find them, that, you know, they've made their way home, you know, or left with someone else. And you don't necessarily at that age expect the worst, you know, you're not suspicious and jaded as uh, <laughs> as you are when you get older. But they left it at that. They went home, just assumed that he went back to his place and they would meet up with him the following day, you know, at least hear from him before he left for vacation with um, his girlfriend. They both admit that they tried calling Brian multiple times over that weekend, but they never got an answer. So I don't know if they'd made a trip over to his house or not, but uh, that's just the information that we have that they attempted to call him at least. And they didn't get an answer. So then at that point, I would be kind of fucking suspect. I mean, I'd be a little concerned. I mean, it's one thing to not be able to find your friend and then, you know, you're assuming maybe they hooked up with someone or they left on their own and didn't feel good. Give them a call the following day. You would definitely expect to uh, hear from them. And if you didn't, red flags would be fucking raised, especially if one day goes by, two days go by. So the longer you go, the more dire the situation becomes, right? And uh, I guess they thought that maybe he was just busy packing for his vacation and shit like that. But here's the thing. Brian never showed up at the airport for that flight to Miami. He missed his flight. And it was at that point that he was then reported missing to the Columbus police. So now you have 48 hours without a trace of him, without anybody even looking for him. So that is just a crucial two-day period. So now he could be fucking anywhere. I wonder, though, what his girlfriend, Alexis, must have been thinking. You know, I'm assuming, you know, if they're in a relationship, it's as serious as they said. You know, you must talk multiple times a day. And having gone 48 hours without hearing from him, she must have been a fucking mess. This all then leads up to Brian not showing up for his flight, as we mentioned. All the alarm bells are then sound, and that is when our investigation officially begins. Am I right, Chris? Oh, shit, I forgot. The police launches an investigation focusing on the area around the Ugly Tuna Saluna. And you can imagine why, because apparently this was a high-crime area. But something I found out was interesting is that Toledo, Ohio, has the most surveillance cameras of any other city in Ohio, which is fucking weird when you take into account Cleveland and Cincinnati and shit. But uh, that's the crazy thing is that he didn't show up on any surveillance footage anywhere, not in the bar, not on the streets, not in the back alleys, fucking nowhere. He lived about six blocks away from the bar and he did not show up anywhere the police had to really look deep into this to figure out what the fuck happened to brian so the cops obviously began their investigation at the ugly tuna saluna at the fucking bar that he went missing at of course they couldn't find anything they were only able to get the clues that we have all seen off of the uh, surveillance video which is not much shows him entering shows him talking to a couple girls for a little bit and then re-entering the bar. So there's not much to go on as far as the surveillance video goes. They then did their due diligence and checked all street cameras, security footage out back, security footage all the ways back to his house, which I said before was six blocks, and nothing, no fucking trace at all. So one of the theories here is that Brian may have been trying to disappear and kind of run away from his life with the stress of medical school, perhaps depression from his mother dying. With that theory, one of the cops said that they thought maybe he put on uh, different clothing, put a hat on, 
and disguised himself as he left the bar in order to avoid the surveillance cameras. But that really makes no sense because when they showed Brian entering the bar, he wasn't carrying a bag. It was obvious that he didn't have any extra clothing on him. And, and furthermore, why would he have to disappear from that specific location if he wanted to go into hiding? I mean, go back to your apartment, collect your shit, and leave. And that leads us to our next clue. They went back to his apartment to check his belongings, and there they found his car. Nothing was disturbed. His bank accounts have not been touched at all, so it's not like he got a shitload of money out and fucking took off or got in his car and split. His car was still there. So none of this is adding up. And the police went so far as to have the city open up the sewer system so they can go in there and fucking search. And again, there was nothing. So, I mean, you can imagine how graphic that would fucking be anyway if the body was down there, my God. But there was no evidence, not a trace of Brian anywhere. They had the police dogs involved. They were scouting out different locations, every which direction leading away from the ugly Tunis Luna. Nothing, no trace at all. A couple theories out there are a little bit interesting. Apparently, at the time, in 2006, there was mass construction going on behind the Ugly Tuna, and there were some back exits that went out that way into the construction site. So some feel that maybe Brian might have snuck out one of those back exits. You know, maybe he was so fucking drunk he didn't realize what he was doing, went out the back exit, and somehow got hurt on the construction site. I mean, with a site that big, there are so many possibilities and ways of getting hurt. Even when the cops said that, it's difficult enough to have navigated through that area sober. If you're drunk, forget it. You know, the, the possibility of getting hurt is pretty high. So that's one theory. You know, maybe he fell into a ditch and then that ditch was covered over the following day. You know, you don't know, but it is a possibility that cannot be ruled out. This case obviously started to gain national attention just because of how fucking bizarre it was. The police started putting up missing persons photos going door to door. And uh, one of the descriptions of Brian that made him stand out was the fact that he had a Pearl Jam tattoo that not many people would have. And uh, the cool thing here was that Eddie Vedder actually made an announcement. I watched a video of it pleading with the crowd to uh, to help. If they know anything, if they've seen anything, please uh report the findings to the police so you know that's how big this search ended up becoming and you know the police just kept running into dead end after dead end searching dumpsters like i said the sewers different fucking waste containers that were apparently around the city so i mean they searched everywhere i can't stress enough just how little sense this makes how the fuck does a grown man walk into a bar is seen on surveillance video but never seen leaving and there's not a trace of him anywhere on a a city that has more combined surveillance cameras than three of the biggest cities in that state. This doesn't make fucking sense. So he either had to go out that back door and fall into that construction site or there was foul play involved. I mean, what other options do we have aside from maybe him running away from his life? But, you know, if his mother just died, I'm sure that he would want to be there to support his father and his brother as well and apparently he was in a very serious relationship with his girlfriend as well so that doesn't make sense as far as running away and just uh leaving your entire life behind goes and the police didn't seem to think so either and uh, that's when they started putting together a list of people they wanted to talk to and you know people of interest and just because you're a person of interest doesn't mean that you're guilty of a crime it just means that they want to talk to you because they feel that you might have information that could be helpful. This is when they decided to ask everyone who had seen Brian that night to uh, come forward and voluntarily take a lie detector test. 
and that would include his dad, his friend Clint, and that girl Meredith who showed up to hang out with them, as well as the girls that Brian was seen talking to in the footage. I guess later on they came forward and identified themselves, but whether or not they took a lie detector test is not known. So Randy, his dad, took a lie detector test, and I mean, obviously... The dad's going through a hard time himself. I don't think he'd want to fucking do anything to his son to hurt him. So he took the test. He passed. Meredith then agreed to take the test, and apparently she passed as well. But here's the odd thing. Clint, he refused to take the polygraph exam. So that might raise some red flags. And not only that, as soon as he was asked to do that, once he talked to the police once, he decided to get a lawyer to protect himself. A lot of people may think that that is very suspicious, and I know Brian's family did, and his girlfriend at the time, Alexis, believed that it was suspicious as well. I mean, obviously you want to help your friend, but polygraph tests are inadmissible, and they can be swayed in any kind of direction based on the question, and if you're a nervous person with anxiety, you can get false reads on things. So, like, if he gives an answer, and he implicates himself, but he was telling the truth, how is that beneficial to anything? It's definitely got to be beneficial to him. So I think that, as weird as it sounds, I think he made the right move in protecting himself if you look at it that way. But now, you got to ask yourself, on the other hand, maybe he's hiding something. You know, what could he be hiding if he is? That's what we don't know. But it just seems so bizarre that they walk into a place with this guy, they hang out with him the whole night, and then they lose sight of him for a little bit. And then he just vanished, never to be seen or heard from again. So time continued to roll on in this investigation, and there were just no answers. Everywhere they turned, it was just another dead end. The police, throughout their investigation, did receive tips that came in from all over the place as far as sightings of Brian. I mean, they went all the way from Michigan to Texas, and there was even one report that he was seen in Sweden. But, you know, I mean... That shit seems to happen in all of these cases, you know? I mean, th these sightings that, whether people are fucking around or they think they're being helpful, often more times than not, they do not lead to anything. And that's what we have here. So to this day, Brian is still missing and there has been no confirmed sighting of him. This story of the Schaefer family only gets sadder. Now, we said in 2006, Brian's mom died three weeks prior to him disappearing so then now and this is the fucking crazy part i mean his family like fucking cursed in september of 2008 brian's dad randy was outside during a fucking windstorm apparently and a branch broke off a tree struck him and killed him and his body wasn't even found till the next morning when neighbors came back outside so he fucking died and he was laying there outside for i mean i would assume the entire night and most of the next day. So it's just one hit after the other. And you can imagine how the brother Derek is taking this. You know, in two years, he lost his mom, his brother, and his father. If you could fucking imagine that. That's just how insane this is. Now, with the death of the dad, Randy, came something very odd. And in my opinion, I, I hate shit like this. It drives me fucking insane because you've got to be so cold-hearted to, to do something like this. Apparently, on the online obituary condolence book that, you know, people can sign if you've ever been to a, um, a site of one that has passed away, you know, oftentimes you can write something online 
if you can't be there in person and whatnot. And that's what this was. Somebody had written on it, and apparently they signed it to Dad, Love Brian, U.S. Virgin Islands. So that's making the claim that he had run away from his life and is now writing on this fucking page. Ended up being complete and utter fucking bullshit. They were able to trace it, and it went back to Franklin County in Ohio. Now, you could just imagine what kind of douchebag piece of shit you have to be to do something like that. I'm getting fired up talking about this shit. So, that ended up being a hoax. A very cruel one at that. So, again, here we are years later, and there's still no trace of Brian. So, now with Brian's dad gone, it's up to his brother, Derek, to lead the way as far as keeping his name in the media and keeping this case active, right? And he continues to do so. And Derek makes it very known that he is critical of Brian's friend, Clint, and Clint's lawyer as well, because Clint's lawyer says that he was talking to one of the investigators and he says that, and I quote, if Brian is alive, which is what I'm led to believe after speaking with the detective involved, then it is Brian and not Clint who is causing his family pain and hardship. Brian should come forward to end this. That's a hard pill to swallow if you're a member of Brian's family or close friends, you know, to make him out to sort of be the one who is victimizing the family. But, I mean, who knows? There, there, there have been no answers. Maybe it's fucking accurate. We don't know. But the thing that kind of made Derek suspicious was when Clint gave a statement and he said that he had nothing to hide, that he had told the police everything and he didn't see the value of talking to them again, which is kind of a fucked up thing to say, because if it's your friend, you would want to keep answering those questions. I I would believe at least I would, if it was one of my good friends that had gone missing, you'd want to help out as much as possible. And Derek felt the same way because he actually says, and I quote, I've always thought he definitely knows something. He just won't come forward with it. If Brian did take off somewhere, if that is the case, we just always had a strong feeling that Clint would possibly know that. And, and Brian's girlfriend at the time, Alexis, even goes on to state that, you know, she's a bit suspicious of it too. And she does not believe that he would have uh, just took off. And she even says, and I quote again, I can't imagine he would have just done that. And I think they're right. It just doesn't seem to add up that he would just take off and leave his entire family behind, especially after the huge loss uh, of a parent. He just didn't seem like that type of guy. As we said already, he was a second-year medical student. By all accounts, he was close with his brother and his father. He was in this relationship with Alexis. So he had a lot going on in his life, even though he suffered this tragedy. So now, when you go back to Derek's statement, it's not like he's automatically just saying that Clint did something to Brian. If you read between the lines there, he's saying that if... Brian did take off that he's certain that Clint would have known something about it. And, uh, you know, I don't know, man. I don't know how that would be, but I would think if you're planning something that big and looking to sneak off, you'd probably keep that information to yourself. And I say that just because I would think that if you did want to disappear, you wouldn't want any trace left behind and you wouldn't want anybody to have the ability to find you through any clues that you might have left. So I'm guessing that if he did disappear on his own, that he would not have said anything to Clint. At least that's my guess. But, you know, as we go back and look at the facts of this case, police then released another statement saying that they have reviewed the footage over and over and over again, and they said there is absolutely no way now 
after reviewing it for all these years, that Brian had snuck out. There was no way that he was on that escalator on the way out of the bar. So there you go. I mean, that's where our story ends. I mean, the search is still ongoing for Brian. Walks into this fucking bar, is seen on video surveillance, but is never seen leaving. Have you ever heard anything like this in your goddamn life? It's fucking crazy. And there are a couple theories floating around, like we touched on before. One being that he went out a back entrance without being seen by the cameras somehow. And mind you, this is the most populated surveillance camera fucking city in all of Ohio. He just happened to evade all these surveillance cameras somehow in a drunken state and disappeared out the back. Now, if he did go out the back, the one theory would be that he went to the construction site, fell, and possibly went into a ditch or landed in some rubble and then ended up getting covered over uh, that following Monday when I guess the crew would go back to work. That's one theory. I don't know how plausible it is. I never got a chance to look at the construction site at the time of the disappearance, but from all the police reports, they said it was a very dangerous place to be. Hard to navigate when you're stone sober, never mind being drunk. I mean, the other theory would be, even though the, the police have now denounced it, of him leaving in disguise and running away from his own life to start over. And that just doesn't seem to add up to any degree. Then, uh, you know, the other one would be the questionable behavior of his friend Clint. Does he know something more? Did something happen in the club that night that he's not telling? Now, I'm not like everybody else. I don't necessarily find the fact that he lawyered up as overly suspicious you know, I don't know. I'm just thinking off the top of my head, I would think that maybe there was some kind of drug use going on with Brian or maybe somebody got fucking pissed off at him for talking to one of these girls. But even if he was jumped or hurt or got into a fight in his bar, where the fuck did the body go? Would they stick him in a box and, and, and drag the box outside without anyone noticing? It just makes no sense. So, I mean, if I had to lead in one way or the other on any of these theories, man... My guess is that he would be somewhere on that construction site, took a bad fall, landed in, as we said, you know, the rubble or whatnot. It was then covered over the following work day, and he could just be buried under there. And if that's the case, we'll never know. The only other thing I could possibly think of is that he did somehow make it out that back exit, walked through a shady part of town, and was fucking murdered, and they disposed of the body somewhere. That's the only other plausible explanation that um, I could come up with. Because, you know, if you think that Clint and Meredith were involved in it, she took uh, a polygraph, she passed it. But, you know, as time goes on, you know, stories change a little bit and, you know, a guilty conscience might come into play. So to keep that a secret for this long doesn't seem very likely to me. And I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say that He's either on a construction site or he made it out through one of the back exits, ended up in a shitty part of town, got attacked and was robbed and they disposed of the body. But who knows? I sure as hell don't. And as Chris would say, my good people, if you've come here looking for answers, you have come to the wrong fucking place because I have none. And as a matter of fact, nobody does because this case is still ongoing and it is still open and still unsolved to this very day. So all we could do at this point is just hope that Brian's brother, Derek, who's the last surviving member of this immediate family, which suffered so much in a two-year span, 
could possibly get some answers and find out what happened to his brother that night because that's no way to carry on living without any kind of answers to one of the fucking craziest mysteries I've ever heard of in my life. And you got to think about it. As crazy as this whole mystery sounds to us, think about how Brian's family, and specifically his brother Derek, feels. I mean, brother walks into a bar, seen on video, has never seen leaving, and nobody has any answers. There's no clues. There's nothing. No evidence. Nothing. There's, There's nothing. So, hopefully in time... And I say in time, it's already been 14 years, but hopefully someday they can find just that little piece of evidence that can open this case wide open and get a conclusion once and for all. So that's it. That's the end of episode number 29 and a half. God, I'm really down today, huh? This is a bad case to cover by myself. I should have waited on this one to have fucking Chris back so I can have him here to make some lowbrow comments too. But, uh... That's it, guys. I hope you enjoyed the show. I did by myself. And if you want, throw me a compliment. That always makes me feel good. And it goes a long way into helping my self-esteem. So uh, with that said, let me give this shitty rundown again. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at btcpod2020 at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook at Between the Cracks Podcast. Or what else is there? There's Instagram. And that's the one I'm always on. I always look at that is Between the Cracks podcast. And you can message me there if you have any ideas for stories, if there's anything you want us to cover. I will answer you back. All right. So uh, I think I got everything covered. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So next week, we will be back with a new case. And my little buddy Chris will be back here in studio with me. So until next week, I bid you the fondest. Oh, farewell. Oh.